five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Right, that was uh, Ted Nugent. A little uh, kid scratch fever. You know, I realized that I missed a perfect opportunity to play Freebird on the on this show. Gary Rossington of, of Leonard Skinner passed away yesterday, so he was the last remaining member of the original Leonard Skinner band. It feels like we're living in a version of uh, Children of Men, you know. It's like we're watching this generation just die off before us, before our very eyes. You know, the, these people that we, we grew up with must have been like um, people who grew up in like the the 40s. And, you know, watching luminaries of the 40s die off, right? Like like watching Benny Goodman or Glenn Miller, you know, whoever was making music or some of the actors and actresses watching. I think Tallulah Bankhead lived for a long time, didn't she? She might not be a good choice. But it feels like we're in a, a version of Children of Men. Where it's almost like... Every week, there's somebody who we have some form of connection or touch point to. Um, and then Gary Rossington being just the, the latest. The week before, we had Wayne Shorter pass away. And Wayne Shorter lived a pretty long life. I think he was, God, he was close to 90, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and Wayne Shorter is just one of the, one of the nicest dudes. Um, in music, and he was a great saxophone player. I mean, if you are into kind of ranking jazz sax players, I think you'd probably have to put Wayne Shorter easily in the top five for for jazz sax players. But that's an interesting ranking, right? A lot of people would put Charlie Parker at the top because what he does to music and how he changes music with bebop um his predecessor was coleman hawkins who was kind of this pre 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 pre-bop sax player getting very close to parker um i had this i had this professor in college who was kind of he was kind of an old hipster what was his name was it mark leonard he lived out in um, 
like near Bolinas or one of those, one of those coastal towns. Uh, what was it? Shit, it'll come to me. Anyway, he did this one thing, which was pretty cool. By and large, I thought his class was kind of lame. But he did this one thing where he would play pieces of Coleman Hawkins music. And then he would read the poetry of Gerard Manley Hopkins, who uses something called sprung rhythm as a device inside of his poetry. And Hopkins is an interesting character because he's a Christian, um, but he also has really beautiful poetry. And the way that his meter is sprung is kind of along the lines of Coleman Hawkins in his, in his sax playing. I thought that was cool. But I'd probably put Charlie Parker just because he's such an innovator. Probably at the top. And then you probably have to put Coltrane after him. Because Coltrane is the bridge between bebop and free jazz. You know, Coltrane takes you out into the stratosphere. And then after that, it's it's kind of a, a scrum. Some people like Sonny Rollins. Some people like Pharaoh Sanders. Wayne Shorter's got to be top five. Because of his longevity, his career, and his you know overall tone and just he's he was incredible but we're watching a lot of these people now um begin to pass away and it's it's weird i have to say it's weird watching these these uh, luminaries leave you know we talked about jeff beck when jeff beck passed away and it, you know I, normally when somebody passes away it's like you just kind of cross her name off the off the list and you sort of move on right that's life but jeff beck was one of those people that when he passed away like it, like it hit me and i i talked about this story before i was it was when i came back from las vegas and i was driving the car from austin to the hill country and i had jeff beck on in my car and i'm listening to jeff beck and and i'm like fuck it's over and it wasn't just it wasn't just like his life was over, but it, he was symbolic of a time that we'll never see again. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, just a ton of bricks. And uh, that was, it was intense. I remember, you know, kind of almost having a bit of an anxiety attack, which I rarely have. It's like, wow, man, this whole era, this whole chunk of our history is over we'll never see it again we may see pale copies or imitations maybe jeff beck will live on in the multiverse who knows but it's just it's just over right so we're watching you know this part of our experience you know evaporate evaporate like 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 a mirage in the desert it's a little unnerving at times, but we still have Ted Nugent. <laughs> Ted is Ted. He's still kicking around and uh, as wild and savage and raw and primal as ever. Ted Nugent may be an asshole, but he's figured a few things out.
And that's what we're here to do. We're here to figure a few things out. So thanks for being here. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Flame. At this point, you, you, you uh, are on the podcast side of things. If you were here on the show, you would have seen Ted Nugent whip out a new tune in London with uh, Cat Scratch Fever. Pretty good rendition of a live recording. So we just finished a nice little uh, spin on Astro Weather. By the way, I didn't mention it on my Astro Weather show, but happy birthday to my own flesh and blood, who turns 19 years old today. I am an island surrounded by water. I, I am I am the Virgo, I'm the Virgin Island surrounded by water. Which means Pisces, if you're keeping score. Do you like the background? I had this, like, I was looking for chickens that were flying the coop. And I ran across this image and I thought it was quite funny. You know, there's a theme here with chickens and yoke and woke and flying the coop and the woke going broke. The yoke of the woke, like taking this thing off of our necks. It's happening. I'm going to talk about that today because yesterday was a very interesting day as it relates to today's subject matter. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit more about the whole like Trump Freedom City thing. One of the things that was mentioned, which I neglected to talk about, I'm not going to make a big, make a big deal out of it. But um, Trump was talking about a version of UBI and that there's something that could take place through the um, reinvestment of resources in these new cities that will allow people to generate a monthly income. So Trump has had a little UBI discussion. I, and again, he wasn't very clear on those details. I think ultimately, at some point, people are going to start to talk about the Venus Project. And if you don't know about the, the Venus Project, uh, what's the guy's name? Jacques something. He was the guy that did all these models for Ravel. And he came up with this idea for the Venus Project, which I thought was very interesting a long time ago. And it was this kind of model of, of a, a, a city, not just a city, but how the city is also engaged in um, the creation of like materials and energy and fuel and how people are woven into um, the context of all that. The guys who did loose change were very uh, into this whole idea of the Venus Project. And some people equated Venus with Lucifer and the Morning Star. And it was kind of this Luciferian model, this Luciferian city. It was a little hokey. When you look at the, the buildings, they're, they're kind of hokey looking. But the model is there, right? There's a model about having the city or, or this, this, this template for where we live. And have it not just be filled with dwellings, but, but there are actual moving parts that 
um, you know, create products and energy. And you're like, well, what's different from that than any other city in the past? Well, if you go back and really look at, you know, how this country was formed, at least the model that we're given, this country was formed with people living inside of, of, of cities where there could be some manufacturing, but mostly manufacturing was done outside of the cities so that they could exploit the natural world and, and materials. Like, like you don't drill for oil in a city and maybe the city has the capacity to, you know, have oil extracted. For all I know, there could be a shit ton of oil underneath El Paso. But you don't see oil rigs and oil derricks next to the city hall in El Paso, right? So it was sort of like, you know, shit in your own nest. I mean, so this is how things, you know, were, were fleshed out. Like there were these areas where there, were, there was commerce, distribution, and some manufacturing or some kind of relationship with, uh, you know, gaining monetary reward for the place of the city. So if you're New York, you're a port city. And so you, you have the ability to, you know, tax loads that come into New York from all these different boats, right? And that's a, that's a form of income and part of it. And once those things come off the boats, you know, if they're things like fish or produce or whatever, they can go straight to market. So it's not as if cities don't have the ability to have some form of self-sustenance, but it's a different idea when this kind of notion of power manufacturing and people power was all kind of embedded in the architecture and the plan of the city itself. And that's what the Venus Project is about. And at some point that's going to come up. People are going to start to talk about the Venus Project or they'll take it as a template and they'll start to kind of rebrand it. And it's in the air, right? We're, it, this new model of living, Pluto and Aquarius is in the air, just like our chicken friend in the background. Anyway, I thought I'd bring that up. Um, let's talk a little true hemp science. The um, sponsor of the show, one of my favorite parts of the show, because I get to look at Chris's website, get to take a journey. A journey into the bliss, the ASMR bliss of the verdant waterfalls, the Amazonian consciousness that's around CBD. No, CBD does not come from the Amazon. It actually comes from the United States and um, areas where it is organically sourced. So. If you have any interest in CBD and you're new to the show, please go to TrueMScience.com. If you go there, you can actually right here, find us, right? Go right here, store location. There's a phone number, right? There is a phone number. You can, you can email Chris. You can call him up. And uh, that's where he's located on Mary Street. In Austin, if you're in Austin, you can you can actually go there and visit the location. But he's happy to speak to you. If you have any questions about CBD, what might be the right fit for you, go ahead, pick up the phone, call him. He's a nice guy. And he'll be able to help you out. 
So if you uh, spend $100 or more and you type in 15MINS, 15MINS, guess what happens? You get free product. And if you spend $150 more, you get free shipping. So there you go. Improve the quality of your life. Check out TrueM Science and get some true CBD. Let's um, let's improve the quality of my life right now and have a little chit chat with Chataria. Let me uh, let me get on in here. Let's see who do we have. There's my man Michael. What's going on, Michael? Uh, let's see. Ricky Raccoon is here. This is my brother Rocky said there would be a Gideon's Bible in this room, but I haven't come across it yet. It's really, you know, it's interesting. The last time I was in a, I was in a, that, that hotel in Vegas. There was no Bible there. I'm telling you, Ricky, the standards these days. Crossfire Cat, what's happening? Good to see you. There she is. Fantastic. CC Jones checking in. Double B, Beth Berry, Sony Lee, the classy one. Father Time. Uh, the downstairs cat is doing just fine. How you doing, buddy? Want to make a cameo? Yeah, let me pull up the downstairs cat. There he is. He's right there. You have anything to say to your adoring fans? Huh? Nothing? Okay. Put you back in the, uh, the velvet crown. The plushy crown. Uh, the upstairs cat is doing doing fine. She's a trip. Uh, Hucklebuck, 411, what's happening? Jasper does have a classic face. User 13 is here. Saw Ted live back in the cat scratch. You know, I've never seen Ted Nugent. I had a chance last year. He was here. I mean, he was actually here in the Hill Country. Hey, it's Darlene Tipper. What's happening, D. Tipper? Good to see you. Um... Let's see, Harriet Bowie. Hey, Harriet. Nice to see you here. Kabuki Theater, what's going on, Bo? 1AI, Detroit Degenerate. Who isn't a degenerate from Detroit? And this is not a knock on Detroit, by the way. But you just look at all the people that come through Detroit. I mean, come on now. Those are some gritty. Those are some gritty people. All starts with Mitch Ryder. I mean, you have the white side of Detroit. And then you have the black side of Detroit. You got the Motown side. I mean, Rick James was an artist on Motown, even though he's not from Detroit. He's from Buffalo and skipped to Canada. But, you know, he was a Motown artist. So you get the gritty, the gritty with Michigan. Lyle Coyote, he's going to be my guest this Friday. Lyle's going to break down some Hollywood psyops. And hopefully... I'll be able to tipple a few insider stories because Lyle was an agent in Hollywood. So he knows a few things. I'm looking forward to having him on the show. The 311 pandemic hoax anniversary is Saturday. My great great grandmother came to me in a vision in 2021 and said that by April 4th, 2023, everyone, even normies, will see the truth. And I agree with you. I agree with you. Ted, I miss real rock and roll. I saw Ted in Nashville. It was wild. A lot, there's a lot of Ted. A lot of Ted love here. Am I back in high school? Yes, you are. Uh, rock and roll and jazz archtop guitar. You would know it. Ted had a really interesting um, selection of guitars. He's got a story about the first guitar that he ever saw. And it, it was a weird guitar. 
I'll pass that along to you. I'll find it somewhere. He talks about it, I think, on uh, Letterman, if I'm not mistaken. Did he have any? Oh, yeah, Stranglehold. And uh, Wang Tang, Sweet Poo Tang. <laughs> Ted, Ted's songs have a similar theme. Right, it's 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 either um, nookie or hunting. That's pretty much it with Ted Nugent. Sorry, I was better with the yacht tunes. You know, it, it's, I have sometimes two minutes to find a song. And that's just how it goes. Ted Nugent's a bad motherfucker. I bet you Chris likes Ted Nugent. From Sagittarius to Sagittarius. Uh, Lynn, I loved it when men wore their manes proudly. Uh, 311 would be the second anniversary of my mom passing. I'm like, ooh, that is a major event. Wow. Mother passing on your Chiron return. That is a big, big moment in time. SP Dimples. Morning. Play Stranglehold now. <laughs> Aren't those pants back in style now? I don't know. I have to go back and look. Uh, let's see. Jeff. Hey, Jeff. We'll be seeing you soon. Jeff Rosansky, a rising star, hanging out in chat. Mr. Key is here. Yes, that's the new here for sure. Ted's a Sagittarius. He's a Sagittarius. Been listening to Van Morrison all day, the crabbiest man with the bombiest music. That's true. That's a really great um, description of Van Morrison. He is a crabby guy. He's a Virgo. There's a period of Van Morrison that's really great. Like there's that um, beautiful vision period, a dweller on the threshold. I mean, man. I love that period of Van Morrison. What is that around? Uh, right around 1982 to around 1986. Great stuff. Yeah, all the Skinner are done. You can always play Freebird whenever. I almost had it today. Glenn Miller, Frank, Glenn Miller, Frank Sinatra, my dad. Frank, I I think Frank Sinatra is the first rock star. He is the first rock star. He's got that iconic status. There was, I mean, you know, there were singers and crooners, Rudy Valley. I guess Bing Crosby is kind of a contemporary, but Bing Crosby does not have the charisma that Frank, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is iconic. He's the first rock star. Um, let's see. Road Atlas, uh, the Motor City Madman, yeah. The, the, you know, I, I could have played the rooster. That might have been a uh, an interesting song to play. You know, I just I have like I'm rushing to put the show together, so I, I it's just like okay, well, what do I want to play? And I think I think Nugent just popped under my feed. I saw Uncle Ted open for Trump in 2016. It was delight to watch him stall for time. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? 
uh, 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 uh. We're in a version of you'll never get old and now you are. So true, Len. Look at that. So true. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Mm -mm -mm. Lena. Hi, Lena. Listen to Black Market Weather Report. Oh, man. The weather report is amazing. Amazing. Yes, dang useless boomers. Robert is in the cockpit at 40,000. That's right. Love Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Pharaoh was the man. I have an interesting story about Pharaoh Sanders, which I'll share. The AI has replaced real talent. We'll never hear those. You know, I, I think that um, I think we'll see a bit of a, a bit of a resurgence of real music and, and real rock and roll. You know, because again, if we if we look at the Pluto and Aquarius model, we're going into this thing front loaded. And we say to ourselves, well, this is how it's going to look. And some of those signs and signifiers are true. Like we will see some of these things like Chad GPT and AI and, and the rise of robotics. But I also think we're going to see the flip side of that and people kind of naturally rebelling against the potential oppression and monotony of the push button society. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see a resurgence of music and bands and people actually playing. I would not be surprised at all. I would welcome that actually. Don't forget Roland Kirk, Rasan Roland Kirk, the man that had about 10 horns around his neck and blind. He was a talent. Kirk is a real talent. And he, um, his whole thing was circular breathing. He could play forever. Farrah popped up on my feed. I love Farrah Sanders. He was great. Um, let's see who else we have. I heard if you confiscate the Rothschild fortune, you can fund all governments in the world without ever charging the taxes again. Uh, that's a really so. That's a really interesting. Tamara's here. Hi, Tamara. Um, that's an that's an interesting thought. I think if you seize the Rothschilds' fortune, the Queen's fortune, and the Vatican's fortune, we'd be good, right? We'd be good because between those three entities, they probably own like seventy percent of the known planet. I'd venture to say maybe even more. Through subsidiaries, uh, you know, holding companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? They may not be directly linked to them, but three or four layers down the chain of custody, you'll find that their fingerprints would be on them. But yeah, you take those three entities: the church, the queen, and the Rothschilds. Let's liberate that money. Let's liberate that money. Let's 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 hit the Rothschilds up for reparations. Seriously. I'm like, you peons, we built this world. You would be nowhere without our fiat lending. Look at all the, the great buildings. 
that you have, the great institutions, you wouldn't have them without us. To some extent, that's true. To some extent. All right, let's get into the uh, subject matter of the day. Um, the, the woke yoke is getting broke. Let me repeat that. The woke yoke is getting broke. Why do I say that? First of all, people are fucking tired of it. We're tired of it. As a society, generally, we've been, as a society, generally, we're pretty polite. Generally. It reminds me of uh, the run-up to the 2016 election when nobody thought Trump would win. I, you know, I thought he would win. I was even on the record saying he would win. But what they didn't understand was that there was a whole segment of society who, when asked who they were going to vote for, said that they didn't know or maybe they said, well, I'm going to vote for so-and-so when in actuality they weren't going to vote for so-and-so, that so-and-so being Hillary Clinton. I think the only newspaper that had it right was the LA Times. The LA Times had figured out a way to actually have some direct contact with a large number of voters. And so this is part of the reason why Trump gets elected is because you had a bunch of people who were generally polite and quiet. You know, we had a lot of people, and they're still around, my mother being one of them, who part of the they're part of the silent generation. You know, they just kind of live their lives and just want to be left alone. Meanwhile, they have very strong opinions um, about life and economy and government and morals and religion and all these things, right? And but by and large, we're uh, generally a polite, a polite society. You know, being polite has been part of the social contract. It's a really important part of the social contract. And it seems very trite. But when you have these little social cues, like saying please or thank you, or you're welcome, or excuse me, like those little social cues are the, they're the lubricant in which society can really function, right? It's, it's uh, these small things. And, and it's like, well, you know, those are just kind of superficial bromides that allow people to kind of, you know, generally feel good. The, the real you know, the real shit is below the surface where people aren't polite, where people are, are you know, dealing with um, the matters of the day in a very intense and incendiary fashion. And there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. That's below the surface, right? If it, you know, if that veneer, if, if those social cues and those social codes become, I don't know, I, want, I don't want to use the word hollow or worthless, but they lose their efficacy. 
And that's when things really start to break down. And we're watching that now. And there is a there is a place, there is a place and time for people to put those things aside because in, in some instances, the, those kinds of, um, you know, so I, let's just call them social codes. In some cases, um, they can actually be a real deterrent to breaking through. Now, we don't want to be a complete asshole all the time because if you have a, an entire country of raging assholes, um, it might be a little interesting for a minute, but it would be absolutely and utterly tiring for most people. And this is this is why we have these social codes, because it allows us to relax a little bit. But the social codes are, are they're not they're not they're, they're not working. Right. So we go back to Scott Adams. And Scott Adams is a weird dude. I saw an interview with him with Hotep Jesus. And I never knew this about Scott Adams, but he was an ardent supporter of Black Lives Matters. He's a Gemini. So you, you, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. He was an ardent supporter of Black Lives Matter uh, Matters. He's, he gave them money, right? So he's talking about this whole other side of, you know, the creator of Dilbert. And then he comes out and he basically says, hey, look, you know, this isn't working. You know, this is not working. Now, you could say to yourself, well, maybe Scott Adams is some kind of weird agent provocateur. You know, maybe he's a strange asset of the deep state. I, you know, all I know is the dude is a Gemini. And he flips scripts like nobody's. He's into magic. He's talked about that before. You know, he plays around with magic. He plays around with uh, sort of deep psychology. I think he likes to think that he is um, a bit of a mage. So maybe this is all part of some kind of dualistic Enochian magic that he's working out. But he basically created a firestorm by saying, look, I'm tired of helping. Now, if you go back and you watch the interview with Hotep Jesus, and he's being truthful about his participation and support of Black Lives Matter, when he says, I'm tired of helping, then it has some merit. And, and he's basically saying, I'm done. And then he says, uh, you know, move away, get away. And whether you agree with him or not, it's a moment like that that breaks the spell. And now all of a sudden people are like, you know, why do I have to continue to prop up the facade? of some degree of civility. And that doesn't mean that, that, you know, people automatically, you know, put a white sheet on over their heads and go and get on Amazon and, and buy David Duke's autobiography. I don't think that that's it at all. I think what Scott Adams is talking about is that he's tired of supporting a group which claims 
to be a victim and underserved, while at the same time has no problem exerting and taking out its aggression on society with very little consequences. So this is his point, right? And so he says he's done. Now, whether you agree with him or not, that's a whole other topic of conversation. But it's something like that that breaks the spell. And I've noticed that since that video surfaced, things are changing. They're changing. Yesterday, and I might even play this. I talked about it a little bit on my um, Astro Weather Show. Yesterday, um, there's a guy who used to play in the NBA named JJ Redick. And he's and he's kind of become a, a bit of a star on the broadcast side of things because he knows basketball. He was pretty good at it. JJ Redick was a deadly three-point shooter. He had a high basketball IQ. He went to Duke. So he's no dummy. And he was on this show called First Take. Let me see if I can find this thing. And he's always on First Take to bring his uh, basketball knowledge into the mix. And I'm going to play this. And I'm going to give you a bit of a bit of a backstory here. So we've got Kendrick Perkins. And Kendrick used to play for the Celtics and I think the Oklahoma City Thunder, maybe a couple of other teams. And Kendrick, had a, he had an okay, decent NBA career. He's a big guy. He's a big guy, and he talks and thinks like a big guy. So about a week ago, I actually saw this happen. Uh, Kendrick Perkins made this assertion that – Three players who play in the NBA, Nikola Jokic, Dirk Nowitzki, and Steve Nash, have won the MVP, and Jokic is looking at winning his third MVP in a row. And they didn't lead the league in scoring. And he thinks it's a byproduct of catering towards white European players. He says this in, in his... Um, it's kind of breakdown of this whole thing. And I saw it last week and I'm like, man, what, what is this guy doing? He's on ESPN and, you know, they're, they're feeding him the woke communion and he's gobbling it up. And prior to that, Perkins had been a bit more country, you know, maybe a little more independent in his thinking. That sure changed. And now all of a sudden he's, uh, championing and parroting these observations, which are clearly, clearly being given to him so that he could promote more of this divide and conquer rhetoric with critical race theory and all this other stuff that's embedded, theoretically embedded in our society. And most people have just sat back and, you know, taken a knee. J.J. Raddick did not do that. And it's kind of shocked people in a lot of ways. I'm going to play the video, and I'm going to try to tie this into Tucker Carlson, January 6th, and Fauci. Because all these things are starting to line up now. 
we have the Scott Adams video and whatever that's about. I mean, Scott Adams could be, who knows what Scott Adams is about. Dilbert's gone. He's going to create his own, uh, I guess his own web page or website. And Scott Adams doesn't care what other people think. He's got a lot of money. He's he's pretty rich. So at a certain point, you can cancel yourself. And it's been interesting watching like um, so-called black commentators on YouTube breaking down, you know, what he's saying. Right. And in some in most cases, they're not disagreeing with him. Brandon Tatum had a big segment on him. He says, look, you know, living in the hood is one of the most dangerous things you can do. And even, you know, very successful black people who try to make it in the hood wind up leaving because it's just too dangerous. It's too dangerous. In fact, it's even more dangerous for them because they have something. It, it reminds me of the story of Sean Taylor. You know, Sean Taylor was a guy who grew up in Florida, cut rough life, wrong side of the tracks, hell of an athlete, got a scholarship to the University of Miami, great college player, drafted quite high by the Washington Redskins, turned himself into an amazing professional football player. He's a young guy coming to his house one night and try to steal his shit and kills him. Now, I don't know where Sean Taylor was living. But that's that's not an uncommon story. There's the story that just recently, right? There was this this uh, rapper who was hanging out at Roscoe's, waffle and chicken, in L.A. He Instagrammed it. Some dude saw it on Instagram, knew he had some metal around his neck, went out and shot him, took his metal. This shit is not uncommon. Right, so Brandon Tatum basically said he's not wrong. Right, he's, he's he's not wrong, and this is what Scott Adams talks about. He talks about that, you know, when when people inside the black community become successful, they leave. And I talked about Deion Sanders when he was um, when he was leaving Jackson because he had coached at um, Jackson State and turned that program around. Deion Sanders is a very interesting character. He's really interesting. He's he, Deion Sanders has some some he has some chi. He can make things happen. He's a Leo. But when he was leaving Jackson State, on more than one occasion, he talked about how his office was broken into on campus. And his son, who was playing quarterback for Jackson State, and Dion, their shit was stolen out of his office. He talked, he mentioned it twice when he was giving his kind of farewell speech to Jackson State. And, and then he was talking about how nice and safe it is in Boulder. I shit you not, right? I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. And I mean, ultimately, ultimately, this, this is a real problem. And, 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 the, and the problem has a lot to do with materialism as our God. You know, this is really where a big part of this stems from. 
You know, and I, I remember back in the um, early 2000s, not that I'm a big hip hop guy, but I, I remember looking at and listening to Jay-Z and I'm thinking, this music's dangerous. It's dangerous because it's promoting false idols. It's promoting things like bling, right? And all these things are supposed to bring you happiness in this world. And I understand that these people um, who live in areas that are that are deeply impoverished, like those are really, those are the golden apples that they're reaching for. They look around and say, no, I've got nothing. And then they see who has the somethings in their in their immediate environment and who are these people well they're they're drug dealers and they're pimps you know they're, they're making their money on the streets so on a certain level i get it right it's a society of haves and have nots and it's okay to have material things but it's not buttressed by what I would call spiritual consciousness. Because at the end of the day, you could have all the material things in the world and your ass is not going to be happy. You'll become bored. You know, whatever new trinket you, you have, you'll lose interest in it. You know, and then what? Then what? Then there's usually a, a period of, of self-immolation that follows that. So I was I was listening to Jay Z's music. I said, "This is, you know, this is evil music," because he's he's promoting values that are empty calories. And again, I get it. I get it. I'm looking at it from my perspective and my vantage point. But at the end of the day, look at the outcome. I mean the 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 deaths of rappers in our society is like through the roof. It seems like every week there's young someone or little someone who, you know, just got offed. And, and that's, that's, that's a huge problem. It's funny. I was, I was um, watching a, a little blip for on Steely Dan yesterday and apparently they did a song earlier earlier in their career which i'm not familiar with I have to, i'd have to go back and listen to it but it's a diss track of john lennon and imagine and donald fagan um thought that imagine was a byproduct of a very kind of classist and out of touch segment of society it's okay to imagine living in a world with nothing when you have everything. But if you don't have anything, imagine that kind of a world. It's not a world you really want to live in. And I get I get Fagan's point of view. It's kind of what I'm talking about in a lot of ways. But at a certain point, we 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 reach the event horizon. And the event horizon basically is, in this instance, a cult of death. And in, in that the material components of the cult of death are the relics of that cult. 
So we have Scott Adams breaking the spell, for, for better or worse. The dam is broken. And he's unapologetic. What else do we have? We have Robert Downey Jr., who essentially played an entire movie in blackface and he's not apologizing for it and their people are demanding that he apologize he's not he's like no i had a great time doing that movie it was part of the movie it was part of the script So now, you, and this is, a again, this is kind of a new take. You, somebody's not apologizing. And I don't think that these are one-offs. I think they're, they're, they're part of a trend moving forward. And we're moving into um, an unapologetic, polite society. Meaning that we don't have to lose the social codes and ciphers that make our lives livable every day, but we're also not leaning into the go along to get along mentality that's a part of it. So we're really now refining this edge where we can be civil and we can be polite, but at the same time, we're not going to be pushed around anymore. And when I say we, it's not just, you know, people that look like me, but they're, you know, like, look at, um, look at people on Jason Whitlock's show. I mean, they're like, no, we're not going to be pushed around anymore. We're not going to be pushed around by uh, the white liberal intelligentsia who has empowered uh, the queens in our society, you know, to rule roost over us. And we're not going to do that anymore. You know, we're pushing back on that. So it's not it's not really a skin issue, although it's been made into a skin issue. What it is, is it's an issue where people are saying, fuck that. We're, we're over this. We're done. And if you look at this whole thing in the terms, uh, in the context of um, like Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, there's an important component in Rules for Radicals where um, Alinsky says that an action can only live for so long. And then the energy is drained out of the action. And we've hit the event horizon with the CRT action. It's stayed too long at the party. It's like three three day old fish. It's starting to really stink. Now, there's other pieces and components to this that are much more deeply embedded. Like what's going on with the education system. But even that can, you know, have a, a major, major transformation and turning point very quickly you know people homeschooling their kids people telling their kids not to go to college study something else do something else these institutions can be evacuated very easily 
And all it takes are some, you know, independent thinking people. Again, it doesn't matter what your skin tone is. If you don't want your kids indoctrinated, then just pull them out. Right? And this is another part of the change. Because they've got a hold of the institutions. And man, they just keep they just keep lowering that age. You're before that it was just like, well, when when they get to college, we'll get their kids in college. And we'll re-educate them. Then moved into high school and then junior high. Element. Now it's in the preschool. They said the preschool and they're starting to get into your kids. And you know, and in fact, they know that that's where the biggest bang for their buck is. Let me play this JJ Reddit video and I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. And by the way, I don't think this is staged. And the reason why I don't think this is staged is because of Stephen A. Smith's reaction and even Kendrick Perkins' reaction. Kendrick is not happy. All right, there's JJ Reddick in the middle. This is Stephen A. Smith's show, first take, and there's Kendrick Perkins, also known as Perk. All right, here we go. No offense to you, and I mean no offense to first take, because I think this show is extremely valuable. It is an honor to be on this desk every day. It really is. But what we've just witnessed is the problem with this show, where we create narratives that do not exist in reality. The implication, what you are implying, that the white voters that vote on NBA are racist, that are they, they favor white people. You just <laughs> said that. You, you, you did. On first take, fireworks flew with J.J. Reddick, Stephen A. Smith, and Kendrick Perkins. I yes, did, you did. I, I did yes, not, you did. That I is did exactly not, what you implied, not, Kendrick I Perkins. That is I exactly not, what you implied. I, I Secondly, not, hold on, did, hold on. I did not call. I stated the facts. I stated the facts. And you're not about to sit up. We and all know like what you implied the other day. We all know what you implied just now. Hold on. I said it. It's the facts. It's the facts. It's the facts. In turn, Perkins erupted at Reddick for what JJ felt was valid criticism of Kendrick's previous comments. Basically, here's what happened. Perkins accused Denver Nuggets center Nikola Jokic of stat padding. Thus, Reddick went on first take and was asked about Perkins's so-called stat padding argument. And the, the best argument I can make of why this is such a ludicrous statement, they're 23-0 and when he has a triple-double. Going back to last year, they've won 28 games in a row when he has a triple-double. You want a slap box? At least allow me to be on TV to be able to throw my jabs and, you know, my uppercuts. Perkins didn't appreciate the comments and demanded they air it out on TV together. When I, when I look at JJ and I hear him talk because he's so big in analytics and he's, he's a historian when it comes down to diving in deep and going back into history and talking about the evolution of the game, why didn't he never bring up this in particular subject? When it comes down to guys winning MVP since 1990, it's only three guys that won the MVP that wasn't top 10 in scoring. Do you know who those three guys were? Who were they? Steve Nash, Jokic, and uh, Dirk Nowinski. No. Dirk Nowinski. <laughs> what, do, what do those guys have in common? I'll let you sit. I'll let it sit there and marinate. You think about it. Perkins was accusing the NBA and NBA media of racial bias in MVP voting. Thus, it set the scene for what we saw to open up this piece. One thing we've learned from that is we can actually track 
which players create good shots for their teammates. And Nikola Jokic is top five in shot quality created. So if you watch them play, Perk. During the segment, Reddick goes through how the numbers show Jokic is top five in shot quality created. In response, Perk pretends to be bored, closes his eyes, and pretends to fall asleep as well. This idea that Dirk and Steve Nash were uh, favored to win the MVP because they're white. Um, first of all, you stop short at 1990. That was your cutoff point for players to win MVP not in the top 10 in points per game, which is a stupid stat to judge MVP on. This isn't middle school. 1990, Magic won it. In 89, Magic won it. 87, Magic won it. 87, he was 10th. Mm -hmm. 89, he was 15th. 90, he was 18th. Okay. Okay. We we okay. judge MVP year to year. It was just it was, I didn't. It was just a strange thing. It was just a strange. Well, why did you cut thing. it off at 1990? That's why, though? That, that's was, that, that was convenient. That was no, convenient. I'm just saying. Hold on. 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 It was just a strange thing that it just happened. It was just a strange thing in 2006 when Kobe averaged 31. When he was playing with Kwame Brown and Smush Parker, and what it was, was just the record that year? Forty-two and, and see, forty. His, they were forty-two so, and forty. So, so let us speak. So he's so the most play. valuable they made the player. They made, they made the playoffs with that roster. You take Kobe off that team, they probably win eight games. Okay, so let's let's make that very very clear. When it comes to MVP voting, eighty percent of the MV, of the voters are are white American. Twenty percent are others. I know that stat. If you want to talk about advanced stat, I do know that one. Which led to this quote, as displayed on your screen, where J.J. Redick went over Kendrick Perkins's implications, which, of course, the former does not agree with. How about Redick pulling back the curtain on first take while on air for first take, condemning the show for pushing false narratives? We all understand the performative and theatrical aspect of first take and other daily debate shows, but a panelist calling it out in real time is rather brazen. Perkins, however, maintained that he wasn't pushing a hot take, stating, this is how a lot of former African-American players have been feeling for decades now. Above the original video, Fellow sports media member Chris Williamson would write, Racial bias definitely exists in the NBA and other leagues when it comes to how players are covered. Can't just dismiss that. Directed, of course, at J.J. Redick. The always insightful Bamani Jones would weigh in before Nash won his MVP. As I recall, the biggest voice to question whether race played a role in his candidacy was Bill Simmons. My old buddy Dan, as in Levitard, made the same point and caught hell from colleagues. He goes on, I mentioned that to say how white dudes receive white ball players can be a weird thing to untangle. Nobody patronizes white hoopers more than white dudes, but when they're excellent, well, that's a little different. It can sometimes go too far. When things get dissonant and it sounds like white people are going a little far to hype up a white dude, well, yeah, some people are going to wonder what's going on. It wouldn't be an unfair question to ask. So all that other stuff is peripheral in a lot of ways. But I just wanted to draw attention to this thing that J.J. Reddick did. Nobody's done that before on first take. Nobody's done that. Nobody's questioned the fact that they're making up a narrative 
and that the show that he's on as an employee of ESPN, he's pointing the finger at Stephen A. Smith as well and ESPN saying, this is what you guys do. It's one of the problems with this show. You know, either they're going to have J.J. Reddick back and give him more screen time or he'll never be on that show again. And if I was Stephen A. Smith and I and you could kind of see him like sitting there going, oh, man. This is this is it's like, where is it going to go? What I do know is that this could give us better ratings. You can kind of see the wheels turning in his head there. Like, this is going to give us better ratings because ratings thrive on controversy. And honestly, there's been no controversy on first take. You know, everybody just steps in line and agrees on whatever talking points. And I feel bad for Kendrick Perkins because it feels to me like he's being played. Like they were giving him talking points. And he's, you know, sticking his finger in the air and figuring out where the winds are blowing. Say, okay, well, the winds are blowing in my direction, and I can use these talking points. And Kendrick may be a nice guy, maybe a family guy. Um, I'm just going to say he's not real bright. And then he retreats into this. Well, it just felt strange. It just felt strange. Well, first of all, you're in your feelings. I get it, right? It felt strange. And then what he has is he has people around him who are going to feed him content and be that little voice in his ear and give him the permission to get out on a limb and make statements that are potentially incendiary and divisive. And J.J. Reddick came in and shot it down. So you may think that this is kind of a minor chord, but it's not. And we're seeing this across the board now. We're seeing we're seeing this pushback happen. Um, I guess I could spend sort of the, the remainder of the show talking about January 6th. And how they had 40,000 hours worth of video. Think about that. 40,000 hours of video for one day. Think of all the cameras that they have around to provide 40,000 hours worth of video. That's a lot of cameras. DC is wired. It is a panopticon. So what's happening now is a very different narrative. And I don't know exactly how this is happening, except that when Kevin McCarthy became Speaker of the House, he had to make some deals. So all those people that held out and kept uh, filibustering his vote, all those people got something out of it. And maybe this is one of the points that they negotiated, that he would hand over these videotapes. If you haven't seen them, and and I'm sure many of you have seen them, our friend, the uh, QAnon shaman, Jacob uh, Chansley, is that his name? Or Jake Angeli, he's got a couple names, I think. He's being escorted. 
Now, we knew this. We knew this from day, pardon my language, fucking one. We knew this. It's one of the reasons why I'm on this, on my website versus YouTube, because I got in trouble for it on YouTube. And I had the video, and I was playing the video, and I was breaking the video down. And it, it was all there. It was all, we knew it, we saw it. We saw how the guy who was working for the Capitol just said, hey, just don't mess things up. And they did a prayer and the whole nine yards. None of that stuff came out on the mainstream media. And look, I, the QAnon shaman could easily be a plant. He's a military guy. Who knows what the fuck is going on with that dude? Who knows what is going on? I, you know, it, there's layers here. All I know is he just, he was like one of Russ's turtles on the fence post. He appears out of nowhere. He's got all these books that he's written. They're all on Amazon. Um, you know, he can just talk conspiracy theory, chapter and verse. If you listen to some of the interviews, I think Laura Eisenhower did an interview with them. The guy's fucking smart. I mean, he could easily be a guest on one of my shows and we could probably go, you know, into the rabbit hole pretty deeply. And he, and he was able to do, I mean, chapter and verse. So he had the materials, he had the background, he had the talking points, and then he had the costume. But I don't know where that guy came from. He's, there's pictures of him and Rudy Giuliani and they're hanging out. And, you know, there's a lot of high strange in, in this world. In, is he even in jail right now? I don't know. I, I don't know. Do you know if he's really in jail? Maybe he is. Maybe he's holed up in that hellhole prison. I know there are people from the January 6th event that are, and it's not a pretty prison. But we saw that. Now everybody gets to see it. They get to see him escorted, essentially, into the, into the chambers, right? where Dianne Feinstein sits. And what does he do there? He leads a prayer. And that's all that happens. And then you have capital security or police, whoever these people are, letting people in. And they have all this video of people like taking pictures and being very, it's like they're on a fucking White House tour, on a Capitol building tour. That's what they are. Meanwhile, you have the other shit that's going on, which is clearly violent, clearly aggressive. Who are those people? Where did they come from? Because that's the narrative they pushed. And interestingly enough, the, uh, the one person who is really tied into that narrative. Hey, we got to go. We got to go. We got to storm the Capitol. That dude's nowhere to be found. Now, Stuart um, Rhodes supposedly is in, is in jail. I don't know if that's true or not. He got convicted. Stuart Rhodes is an alphabet guy. But now we're seeing that there is a very this, this this January 6th thing is going to have a huge ripple effect. You have all these media pundits now and they're pushing back on it. 
they're talking about how Tucker Carlson and Fox are whitewashing this whole thing. And they're, they're trying to, in a very Orwellian, now they're using the Orwellian tactic to say that it never happened. So this is a really interesting time. It's all part of what's going on here, right? There's a lot of things astrologically that are changing. Saturn and Pisces is a very interesting uh, ingress. It's a very, very interesting ingress. And even when we look at the 11th house, or sort of the 12th house, which is ruled by Pisces, that's prison. Those are jails. And now the spotlight is going to turn to the people from January 6th that are still there, still awaiting trial, and their conditions are horrible. Now that's going to come out. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. And people will say, well, nothing will happen. Nothing. No, I disagree with that. Things are going to happen. This has made too much of a ripple effect. And now you have a Congress that feels emboldened because maybe they made a deal with McCarthy and they got some they got some traction out of this January 6th footage. And then you have Chuck Schumer yesterday begging, absolutely begging Rupert Murdoch and Fox not to run any more of this stuff. Of course they are. It's going to be big ratings. I don't really trust Tucker Carlson. You know, as far as a mainstream media voice, he's mildly interesting. But we've we've looked at his past and his father and his connections and, you know, he is what he is and he, he plays a certain role. He releases the tension. But in this instance, this is kind of a big deal. This, the, this, and then you have the Fauci stuff kind of floating around in the background now. That's that's the whole other side of this, too. Right now, I have the Fauci and, um, you know, the gain of function. And I'm not even sure I believe in that. But now there's emails that are coming out about gain of function and Fauci and Wuhan. And th they're there. Right, and it refutes everything that Fauci has said. So the other thing too, right, and I'm going to bring the the astrological piece into it. With Pisces, you reach the end. Like it is the end. It's like where all the water terminates, and so we have all of this like contagion and illusion and victimhood. All these things that, that we would associate in a lot of ways with Pisces. And here comes Saturn. You know, Saturn is judgment. It's going to be a very interesting time. Really interesting time. And when that true node moves into Aries and that south node into Libra, people are going to be really pissed. Really, really pissed. So now we have we have the, what I would call the polite pushback, kind of the J.J. Reddick version of it. They say, no, this is wrong. Not only is it wrong, but this show is in the business of creating false narratives. 
I've never seen that. I in all the years that I've watched sports and sports commentary, I have never seen somebody on a show criticize the show that they're on and the role that that show is playing in promulgating falsehoods. Never, never seen it. So this is this is what I'm talking about with the woke yoke being broke. It's it's broken. It's 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 just broken. They've 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 stayed here too long, right? Like they 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 had the momentum in 2020 with George Floyd and the Purple Revolution and the tearing down of the statues. You know that 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 was. You know, their their Bolshevik revolution. Make no mistake about it. But in the ensuing um four years, three years, they failed to capitalize on that and completely flipped the script. They haven't done it. And so now they're playing this thing out, which is they've stayed too long. They've stayed too long at the party. Now, you could make a case that people don't care, like the people at the upper echelons of power don't care, and they could just push it and move it in another direction. And then they could take advantage of people who are tired of being polite, who are uh, breaking the woke yoke, and they could push it in that direction if they want to. And that's true. They can. They, they can, you know, they can manipulate the masses based on of where the masses energy is being guided and directed. So if there is a wave of victimhood, right, then they can move it along those lines. If there's a, a backlash against victimhood, they can move it along those lines. So that's one of the things that we have to be really aware of is being manipulated in our own self-righteousness. So it's a real tricky operation because people are opening and they're saying, fuck you, no, enough. And it's again, it's just not one type of person. There are other people that don't fit into the demographic that are pushing back and have had enough. And that's where we are. And I don't think, I don't think we're going backwards. And I don't think any kind of psychological operation is going to be effective. Like they played, they played their hands. You know, they stacked the deck. And they had all the events that led up to George Floyd. Breonna Taylor. Going all the way back to Michael Brown. Going all the way back to Trayvon Martin. They were stacking the deck. And George Floyd was the final card that they flipped. And they put all that time and effort into building this case. From Trayvon Martin to George Floyd. And then with George Floyd, that was going to be the linchpin to tear everything down. And they were partially successful. They weren't wholly successful because we're still having this debate. If they had been wholly successful, including 
the theft of an election in more than just one election, by the way, we'd be in a very different place. And some people might say, well, we're in a different place already. Trust me, we'd be in a very, very different place. So they had an opportunity to completely flip the script and they, they, they couldn't do it. Even with all the media and all the animus that they were generating from Trump and using that energy to divide and conquer people, they're not, they haven't been successful. There's something that separates America from any other place in the world. For better or worse, you know, we can be really obstinate assholes. And sometimes we deserve the moniker of the ugly American. But on the other hand, our being obstinate assholes has probably helped us remain slightly free. It's that part of us that is unwilling to conform. You look at all these other countries in the world, man, they've conformed. Hook, line, and sinker. They've conformed. And with Europe, it's easy to understand why they conformed. They went through World War II. It's a huge psychic scar. We didn't go through that. So are we out of the woods? No, not by any stretch. But the power of the psychological operation as it relates to the Purple Revolution and George Floyd and Black, that's gone. That's gone. They're, they're writing bad checks on that. Now, there's nothing in the account. Now, could they go in another direction? Yeah, they could. But the spell is broken, right? The, the woke yoke is broke. And that's because people are thinking for themselves to the best of their ability. Sometimes they may not always be thinking for themselves. They may be running a program and thinking for themselves. We all have an inherent bias. But we're looking at a new day here, people. And when it happens and it's happening, expect some other things to come in from the sidelines and the periphery. They may not be the same thing, but they have plenty of distractions and ways to divide and conquer us in their toolkit. But eventually they'll exhaust those. I mean, think about it. They'll exhaust those. And once they've exhausted the divide and conquer, they have nothing left to use. Nothing. And that will be an interesting day. All right. Thanks for being here. As always, use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart two-step when it's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. And we'll be back here tomorrow, 9-11 Central Standard Time. And uh, we'll be at Astro Weather over on YouTube at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. And um, this Friday, Lyle Coyotal, Hollywood Insider, Breakaway Babylon. Looking forward to that show. Um, and we'll look at, um, speaking of psychological operations, we'll have a couple of examples of that, that uh, Lyle has broken down and uh, looking forward to it. All right, you guys take care. Have a great day. Bye for now.